0: Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family, wherever I roam, I'm Fenway home, that's where I long to be, I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity, Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity, I make a smile openly.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, you can find the podcast, as always, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and basically anywhere you can find it on Google Red Sox last night wrapped up a uh, the second game of the ALCS with a win over the Houston Astros seven to five, which ties the series one to one. They took off for Houston and will begin uh, three consecutive games starting tomorrow and hopefully coming uh, back home to Fenway. Uh, to wrap up game six and seven uh, if it goes that far, if either team needs to go that far uh, starting this weekend. So we will uh, mostly be covering uh, a lot of what happened yesterday and then probably just touching on a few things uh, with tomorrow's game. And with me tonight, Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? Good, thanks, Terry. Yeah, alright, so uh, let's just dive right into it A very unlikely win yesterday, in my opinion uh, Mostly because uh, the elephant in the room, David Price Who just can't seem to get a a win As a starter uh, Ends up not really winning, but helping the team win anyway So what were your thoughts on that start?
2: Well, as you know, I called this uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I had it completely wrong. Um, he wasn't good again. Um, I did feel like it wasn't necessarily a turtling like it has been in the past. Like I felt like he went out and tried to get it and just couldn't, and the Astros are that good. That 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 home run was in and off the plate, and it's just one of those things where he was probably looking for it up and in, and he got it up and in. And so the fact that it was up off the plate a little bit, you know, he, 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 he was able to yank that thing and keep it fair. So um, I didn't think he turtled. I thought he, he showed some fight. Um, I personally am of the camp that um, the anger being taken out of the game was real. It was not contrived in my mind, and I think he really wanted that last out to try to get that first win. Um and so there were some indications that uh, maybe the moment wasn't too big. He just didn't have it. Um, but with that said, I think it just shows a lot about this team. We've talked a lot about, you know, what does the 108 wins mean? You know, the number itself means very little. They have home field advantage, but I think it just shows that they have the raw talent. And, you know, the number, if you've watched this this team as much as you and I have, you know that there were just games where they should have and could have and easily most teams would have just folded up shop and, and said, okay, let's just get ready for tomorrow. And they, and they came back time, you know, time and again. And, um, I think game two is a microcosm of that where it would have been really easy for them to blame price as a team and just say, well, you didn't give us a chance again. And they didn't do that. And they made big play after big play. And, uh, they, they did something they haven't done yet. And, uh, in the postseason, which is they put a, a close game away late with some with some extra runs, which obviously you need with Kimbrough going out there the way he's been. So I'm encouraged. Um, I mean, I again, I joked, I had this thing completely wrong. Obviously, it's like once Sale lost that game the way he did and he looked really bad, I was like, man, this thing's over. Um, and as you know, I picked the Red Sox in seven. So they do the exact opposite, and they overcome the price struggles, and the bullpen has been... Really, their best component, most consistent component um, since Game Two of the ALDS. So it's been uh, it's been interesting. It's been a whirlwind. It's um, I feel kind of lucky and fortunate that the Sox have the series tied. And you know they got to get one win in Houston to get it back to Boston. And heaven forbid they win two or three here, then they can go win it in Boston and get to the World Series. So I think anything is uh, I think any narrative. It Could happen at this point I love the fact that Bregman opened his mouth On Twitter or I think it was Instagram And um, You know so let's go game three of Can't wait
1: Yeah and I mean I shared The same pessimism as you did uh, Coming into the game We did talk scenarios Like you know what yeah. if It doesn't pan out that way and, and I did kind of mention a scenario Where if the Red Sox could put up some runs, they could kind of offset a bad start from Price and and probably win a high scoring game. Seven to five isn't like extremely high scoring, and Price wasn't horrible, but. He kind of, you know, he kind of kept helped keep him in the game a little bit And, uh, you know, so that was the scenario that played out And I didn't think it would, but I, I figured that was the best case scenario um, And, it, you know, it, it did kind of work out that way um, I, I don't know if I'm at the point where I'm I can say, okay, he's cleared the hurdle, and now he's he's going to be a postseason pitcher because he, he walked four people for one, gave up four or five hits, and then the long ball. There was times throughout the game, I noticed with certain batters, he his body language was different. When Springer, Altuve, and Gurriel were up, he was a little more relaxed, and but and I think the reason was was because those guys are almost free swingers. They swing at everything. I mean, Altuve was swinging at stuff that was up around his chin, you know, and Guriel, same thing. Springer, same thing. But when Price was in there against Bregman, Gonzalez, and Correa. Those guys were a little bit more patient and you could see Price get a little bit more frustrated with himself because they weren't swinging at the stuff that was slightly out of the zone and one of the things that was pointed out that Alex Cora and Dana Lavagne were trying to work with Price with was his was his presence and his uh posture on the mound they said, Earl, you know, before the game started, they wanted him to stand taller and it would give him better tilt on some of his pitches. I think specifically his changeup. But when he's nervous and on edge, he kind of hunches a little bit. And I was seeing that a lot with uh, Gonzalez and Correa specifically. And he did not look good on the mound when Gonzalez crushed. That uh, home run into the monster seats. And I can't remember, if it was the next inning or the one after. I think it was two innings later because he did have a one, two, three inning. And then in the fifth inning, two runners get on. And then Gonzalez was coming back up to the plate. And that's when Cora uh, yanked him. He didn't want him to face him again. And I really believe that if he was left in there, there's a good chance one or two more runs end up coming in. So I'm not, I mean, the price huggers probably rejoiced and think this is a big defining moment for him, but I'm not quite there yet. And you also have to consider that this is a team he typically does look good against. And and quite frankly, generally looks a lot better than he did last night, so... If if we get to the World Series, I'm not going to count those chickens. It's still really early. But if we get to the World Series and, and he he looks good in one or two games there, then I'll be like, okay, all right, maybe maybe he has cleared that hurdle. But I'm not there yet. All right, so I'm going to,
2: you know, you you threw a bunch of comments in there. One, Price didn't hear it. He, Price didn't jump any hurdle. Okay. He showed fight, so I'm not gonna just completely go on my typical. Price is a bum. He's he's he, he's a coward. He's a bitch. I'm not gonna do that yet, but um, <laughs> because he did show some fight, and look, I, I mentioned with Mookie, there's a difference between like the career postseason failures versus when it looks like he's turtling in the big moments versus he's, he looks the same, the results just aren't there. And I said, look, with, in the case of Mookie, he does look the same. He's swinging the same way. He's playing aggressively. It's just the results aren't there. They're coming. There's an indication that the results and the track record is going to catch up and it's going to happen. The problem with Price has been that he's such a coward, he's such a bitch in the playoffs that it just didn't feel like it was going to ever come, and he what price was not good. I mean, look, maybe by price standards he was like a B minus, but he still wasn't good. He still didn't. He wasn't anywhere near a quality start. He gave up early runs. They got the lead. He promptly came back and gave up the lead. Um, you know, so it, those are the things. Like, hat your team gets a lead, what do you do? You want to get out there, get three quick outs, get your get your offense that's starting to hum get him back out there so they can keep the momentum going. What does he do? He promptly lets them tie the game on back-to-back doubles. So, look, he but he did fight, so I'm not going to just totally bash him. He did fight. I thought he nibbled way too much, and to me, that's an indication of a guy who doesn't trust his stuff. Um, you know, when you feel like your stuff is good enough, you can be in the strike zone. Um, Kurt Schilling always says, uh, always said, and, and I really like this about Kurt uh, because there's obviously a lot of things to not like about Kurt, but um, he always said that 0-2 was not a waste pitch. It was a purpose pitch. And that it didn't have to be an automatic ball depending on the matchup. And Price nibbled way too much. He he got ahead and then he didn't trust his stuff to get out of it. It it felt like he was nervous about maybe leaving a cutter middle-middle. And so what he did is he he did kind of the dice game, Matsuzaka, uh, E-Rod does it, where they get ahead and then they nibble. And you see 0-2 counts turn into 3-2 counts turn into walks. Or you see 0-2 counts or 1-2 counts turn into 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, where you have to challenge and then you do have to go in the middle of the plate to make sure you don't walk a guy. So I just thought, just generally speaking, I wish he trusted his stuff a little bit more. I don't blame him because... You know, he he hasn't been good. Um, And then when he did throw strikes, they got pounded um, for those doubles that ultimately tied the game early, um, and obviously the home run. Um, So, you know, um, but he's not over any hurdle. I mean, come on. (laughs) What did he say in his post-game press conference? Uh, This is the first game I've started in where I've I've been a part of a win. Um, You know, they won despite you, not because of you. Uh, The offense... um, was not expected to score those types of runs against Cole. It's shocking to me that they were able to do it, and I think it's a microcosm of something I said on the last podcast, which was, if they do win that game, it's because they they know they got to come out and put up a touchdown to win the game, and that's exactly what happened. So, um, you know, ton of credit to to the lineup. There are some concerns. Um, Mookie was great. Um, you know, one of the things that is like. Kinsler's two at-bats with the bases loaded with strikeouts on six pitches um, were some of the worst at-bats I've seen all year. I agree. I never, and and, and this, guy, this guy's supposed to be the veteran. He's supposed to be the guy who's level, like you know what you're going to get from him. And maybe that's still true defensively, but offensively, you have to be shitting me. And the first strikeout was three straight pitches uh, one out, and so you're looking at a position where if you can hit a, a, a sack fly, you score a run, and you can't put the ball in play. That was really really bad. But then to do it again, and the O2 pitch was a hanging slider that he should have crushed. A professional hitter crushes that pitch. I mean, he, and he swung through it. And what they did is they showed the re, the the replay uh, from the like the check swing angle, and he was behind it. Like it, he was blown away by by a spinning high. Hung 82 mile an hour slider and I'm like Jesus Christ Kinsler, you stink, dude. So I think I'm done seeing him. Um, and then on the on the third base issue, Devers is clearly the option, right? So uh, look, I'm a Devers Holt guy moving forward. Uh, Kinsler has a role defensively. Nunez has absolutely no role in my mind. Um, and the rest of the lineup is pretty well set except for catcher, which is going to be a revolving door based on who's pitching. So I think we've got some answers about who we have to go with. Um, And then finally, just on the bullpen, I feel like it's been pretty clear, absent the short starts uh, where they had to go to Kelly, it's pretty clear that Cora wants Brazier, Barnes, Kimbrel. And because of the short start again in game two by Price, they had to throw Kelly, and then they had to bring Porcello in. Um, So everything's kind of wonky, but I think what he wants is Brazier in the seventh, Barnes in the eighth, Kimbrel in the ninth. Um, and again just not to not to. I've already said my my piece against Porcello so far I, that guy has been awesome I just give him so much credit for pitching outside of his usual role um, and seemingly taking it head on with just a, like a zero fucks attitude and um, I'll tell you right now we're not where we are right now without Porcello's ability to put, pitch out of the bullpen
1: I agree. I mean, he's been an extremely stabilizing force. Um, let me just—I just want to wrap up the price thing real quick. Um, just to be clear, I'm not—I'm not trashing him nor praising him. I'm just ultimately glad we won the game. But we're both in agreement apparently that we're not anointing him, uh, you know, as a legit postseason guy yet that can that can handle that role. So, well, well, I'm assuming he's going to get game 6. I mean, uh, I mean, you you you're probably on the same page with that. He's done enough to pitch again. And I'm just going to say this right now.
2: Even if Price came out yesterday and threw 7 two hits, one walk, one earned run, and he was great and he did win the game, that's still not enough. He has been so historically pathetic. That I need to see two, three, four quality starts where it's a trend, not an aberration. And if he if he can, and it's not obviously going to happen this playoffs because at most he has three more starts. So, um, you know, I just in my mind, I'm sorry, I'm not going to trust the guy until he
1: develops a track record the other way. Yeah, and against a different team that you know, not necessarily the Astros. Um, yeah, I mean, look. And here's the
2: thing: not to not to be optimistic and embarrass myself again because I've been optimistic and been embarrassed. But I, I again, if we can get past the Astros, I just think the path becomes so much easier, regardless of whether it's the Dodgers or the Brewers. Um,
1: looking like the Brewers, and you
2: know, one of the things I would consider doing is pitching him in Game Three and not two, so that. Um, He's pitching in a shortened lineup with the pitcher hitting, so I don't know maybe, maybe now I'm obviously getting way ahead of ourselves because <laughs> we've got a lot to worry about before then, but just you know there's something that had crossed my mind is a way that theoretically you could maybe make it easier on him, but again that's i'm I'm getting ahead of myself
1: it's a, it's an interesting observation, and uh, I hadn't thought of it but um but yeah, and some people have said in the past maybe. Maybe he is a National League pitcher and nobody knows it yet. So, um, yeah. And another thing too, I thought I wanted to face the Brewers, but and we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I may as well say it. Um, I just look at our optimism after one win. <laughs> that that whole system that they're implementing kind of worries me a little bit because you're not seeing the same guy every at bat. Like they. Every time Mookie Betts comes to the plate and J.D. And, and Benintendi, whatever they learned in the previous at-bat is obsolete now because they're facing someone else. And I just – it's – maybe we blow them out anyway, you know, because, I mean, who knows how good the Rockies really were. And, I mean, the Dodgers just – maybe Walker Bueller isn't, isn't all that despite – his recent success so uh and kershaw well, the, brewers, the brewers are up for nothing right now and i watched
2: a lot of tonight's game before we went on the podcast and i've watched game one and two or the far majority of them they look like the better ball club um i think so too. the dodgers had to come behind you know come from behind late in game two otherwise the brewers were in control of that game to the seventh or eighth inning so to me the brewers are the better te- uh, look like the better team and it's tough because the Dodgers carry that mystique and you just want to automatically, you know, go that way. But the Brewers don't seem to care. They have a bunch of talent across the board. Uh, they've got a bunch of unselfish people. I mean, uh, the mayor of ding dong city, you know, they're starting third baseman basically gives management approval to go get Mustakis, And that, you know, lengthened their lineup considerably. And, we're getting off topic here, but as you know, I could talk about baseball forever, but you know, that Brewers team is kind of scary and they're, they're playing pretty free and, and, and loose. And I think they're going to win that series. Um, I bet on them tonight, uh, on the road in game three and they're, they look like they are who, who who I'm starting to think they are.
1: Yeah. I mean, and if we match up with them, it it is absolutely imperative to get ahead early (laughs) Because who knows how the yep. rest of it will play out. Um, we'll get, shift back over to the Red Sox here. Um, now that Price has kind of, you know, put us at ease a little bit, or at least the fact that we're tied, you know, after thinking we might be down 2 to nothing, I think my primary concern going forward is Chris Sale. And I, he was just in the hospital with some sort of a stomach bug and – um, that's a little concerning. Is he going to be up to full strength? But also, his shoulder, it, it, to me, is, is also a chief concern here. And, I mean, I we have no idea what he's going to look like. And he's going to be up against Verlander again in, in Game 5. So, uh, And that one will be in Houston. So, how, how concerned are you with that one? Very concerned. Now... There are some things leaning in
2: the other direction, okay? First and foremost, Chris Sale is never going to look at the excuse way out. He's going to go out there and give you his best shot. Um, he stated after game one that he just didn't have his best stuff, and he was fighting himself more than anything in that game. Um, not that you would expect him to blame the in- you know an injury, um, but he didn't go anywhere near an injury. And he just said he didn't have you know his stuff, which you know sometimes happens and you know seasons end when when a pitcher doesn't have their stuff in, a, in, a, in an elimination game. It happened to be the first game of the ALCS. And um, you know, but with that said, it just he, he fought in that game. We talked about it the other night. He fought in that game. He didn't just fold up shop and, and quit. And he got through four innings and, and left the game. I think it was still tied at that at that point. So I just I am very nervous. I'm very scared. It's gonna be one of those things where I take a deep breath on the first pitch and hope it's ninety seven. Um, and then after the first inning you, you kinda of get a sense of what his command's gonna be. And maybe I'll exhale at that point. But going into that start and there's just there's tons of concerns, and then you throw in this whole you know, it, you know, and we know the Red Sox are not above making up ailments, injuries, or otherwise. Uh, we've talked about it at length with, with the clearly fake injuries to David Price um, over the years. So I, I don't know if he had diarrhea or the flu or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you theorized to me, I think, in a text message that, is this, you know, really a way of getting him in the hospital to take a look at his shoulder? Um, the only, the only thing with that, just generally speaking, is that you don't, you don't go to the hospital for an MRI or a CAT scan. You you typically go to a clinic or in in the case of a professional sports team, I think that equipment's actually in Fenway Park. So, uh, or some of it is at least x-ray. So, um, it's, uh, it's concerning. It's deeply concerning. I just, I, I hang my hat on the fact that he's such a competitor that, um, there's there's a chance that he can at least be competitive in that game
1: yeah and i know i theorize that and you know i'm like you know even outside of baseball i'm a raging conspiracy theorist so my mind automatically will go to places that you know others might not necessarily but you know the way the last uh you know 12 hours or so have played out I, i think he was sick and and, you know, they um, they probably kind of quarantined him away from the team uh, for a little bit. But um, with as far as performance goes, I just feel like he's going to – maybe he just needs to come into the game with a, a different mindset. Maybe, you know, maybe if he's not healthy – Maybe they just have to. He's got to work on some off speed stuff. He's got to kind of adjust on the fly and just find a comfort zone, even if it's not something he has really utilized at all. I mean, even in his first start off the DL the first time, he was blowing Orioles away left and right. I think he struck out 12 in five innings. And, uh, well,
2: that is the Orioles. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: I, 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 you know we, we,
2: we've talked on this podcast before about Pedro Martinez's 99 season after the, uh, the injury to his shoulder from the All-Star game. And you've seen it just generally with various guys who don't have their fastball. And it could be due to an injury or it could be because they know they don't have it in a particular start. And one of the things with a fastball is if you can throw your breaking pitch in your and your change for a strike, then you don't need to throw your fastball for a strike. You can it can be a show me pitch just to change eye level and change speeds. Um, again, it, it you know, it's a purpose pitch. Like you're not going to throw it for strike, or and, and you're going to throw it to a point where if they swing at it, it's it's in a, it's either elevated enough or whatever where a swing is going to generate a foul ball or a swing and miss. and then. But you have to be able to throw your other pitches for a strike, and most guys can't do it. I mean, Kelly is the prime example. If, if he can't throw his fastball for strikes, and he typically can't, I mean, he's got no shot. He can't be in the game because he can't throw anything else for a strike. Sale has the ability with that slider – to throw that get-me-over version he has, where it's a little less aggressive and it's a little less sweeping. But it's an above-average slider, nonetheless, that he can throw for a strike. His change-up, you know, his off-speed stuff, I mean, I think when he's at his best, he really only needs his fastball in the slider. But it's one of those things where if he can throw some strikes, if he can get ahead pitching backwards, he can show his fastball to change eye level. And be effective now with that said if he's pitching that way He's going to be purposely throwing, you know pitches outside the strike zone his pitch counts up And even if he's good, he's only going to be good for four or five innings in that, you know in that version of him Right So but I mean look if he can't throw 97 and if he feels like he's not throwing because look in that start He wasn't he was shying away from his fastball so if, he, if you feel like he, he can't go to that pitch, that's just that's even more concerning. And I think this lineup's smart enough to say in the dugout, like, look, he's, he's not throwing his fastball for a strike, guys. Like, just wait for the fastball. He's not going to be able to throw his other pitches enough in the strike zone. So you're not going to be standing there looking at strike three. You know, you're more likely going to be looking at challenge fastballs that are 92, 93, not 97. And that that's that's, again, very concerning. So... You know, look, if he can come out and that first pitch is 97, my heart rate will drop 10%. And I feel like, you know, he may have enough stuff at least for five innings to give you a chance to win.
1: Well, and hopefully that's the case. You know, I mean, he's he, he needs to go five innings one way or the other because... Um, Porcello is going to be pitching the night before, so I'm going to boldly assume that Porcello's going to be completely unavailable for that game. There'll be an off day after and then game six, so I think you could start to see Porcello again at that point as well as game seven. But who's going to come out of the pen? You're just going to have to hope that you know Kelly, Barnes, Brazier, and Kimbrell are all just extremely solid and can you know, kind of walk the line and and, uh, do their jobs. The other thing I'm kind of curious about is tomorrow with Nathan Avoldi, Does Porcello go an inning if he's pitching the next day? Because I kind of feel like that's unlikely.
2: Yeah, I think the answer to that is
1: no. Um, Typically when you throw –
2: so, again, I was never a pitcher, but my understanding of a five-day rotation is – your start your run day which is you get out and run two three four miles and and get the the uh, you know the build up in your arm shoulder and back out uh, you have a you have a spot day where you throw on flat ground then you throw your full bullpen day where you try to mix all pitches in and typically like 15 to 20 pitches you get fully loose then you have a light toss day maybe it's long toss and then you pitch again so that third day is the day they keep throwing Porcello. So instead of him throwing, getting fully loose, and throwing 15 to 20 full full go in the bullpen, what they're doing is they're saying, all right, well, let's save that for the game. And right. they did the same for Price in game four um, of the ALDS. You mean sale. So in te- Chris? Sale. I'm sorry?
1: You meant Chris Sale, I think. What did I say? Price.
2: Oh, God. I can't believe really I keep okay. doing that. Don't worry about that, it. That is, that's just bad. It's bad. <laughs> Anyways, but so that's my but, – but I um, hope – I mean, is I'm screwing up the names, but I hope my point is being made, which is, you know, a Valdi, you know, typically it would be Price. I'm not – I just did it again. There's something wrong with me.
1: Typically it would sales. be
2: sales. It would be sales full bullpen day tomorrow, which would be the day you would expect him to be able to go. Price's day – his bullpen day and the day you could maybe get an inning out of him would be Porcello starting game four. So I think that's the only you know. Now with Sale being what's what's going on with Sale, I don't know unless you absolutely have to have it and he warms up and he says I'm good to go. Can you put him in the game? I just don't see that happening. So I think you got to get six from avaldi tomorrow because it's got to be a typical bullpen day where there's no starters throwing.
1: Uh, And it's going to have to be. And the the bad news is in eight out of his 11 starts, he failed to go six full, uh, you know, with the Red Sox. Two out of the three, in which he did go at least six full, and I think it was even beyond that, was against the Yankees. So um, I'm a little concerned, and his start, (laughs) one start against Houston was earlier in the season, he gave up four solo home runs. So... I just feel like, you know, he throws a lot of strikes and with an aggressive team, you know, like I was talking about with a Springer and Altuve, especially, I just feel like he's going to be tailor made for them to kind of knock around a little bit. Now, the good news is we're, we got to Keiko pretty good in the September start that ended up being the the game we won. So maybe if we get to him it could be kind of similar to game 2 where it's just a bit of a firefight and and hopefully you know we come out slightly ahead but but the point that i've kind of been making with this is you know we're used to falling back on porcello and now we're going to have to find a few games here to to win without him coming out of the pen and that's kind of daunting i feel like you know, the only thing we can't
2: account for is, well, no, it can't be Porcello. He's pitching the next day. You just can't do it. Um, I think it's going to be Erod if it's going to be any quote unquote starter. Uh, I mean, he's obviously never going to start a playoff game. That's been pretty clear. But um, I think Erod is the, this, the, tomorrow is the day you see Erod in two innings if you're going to see him for two or more innings. Um, in a non blowout situation. It's scary, um, but if you get Erod at his best and you catch lightning in a bottle, he really gives you a chance uh, if volley can only go five. Um, you know, I mean, what he's been doing, him, I mean Cora, he's been going Kelly. He doesn't want to go Kelly. He, like He doesn't want to go Erod. I think it'll depend. Um on feel of the game and you know obviously whether they're ahead or behind but I do think Erod could play a factor there
1: yeah anyway and I don't know how I feel about that I mean he did give up three home run uh, excuse me a three run shot in I think it was game 1 or was that in the Yankees series I can't remember
2: no, that was that was in Game Two of the ALDS against Gary uh, okay. Sanchez. He <laughs> gave up a ball that's still traveling.
1: Yeah. Okay. So uh, all right. So we're he'd be facing a different lineup. Here's another thing I've been wondering, and I, I don't know how I feel about it. It's just the scenario. Um, what if what if he just went Game Four, and then Porcello just keeps coming out of the pen? I mean, does that increase our odds any better?
2: No. Um. No, because he he. All right. So I am not an Erod guy. I'm I'm sure you have picked up on that, Terry. Someone who may be hearing me for the first time or only uh, has hear, heard me on this podcast intermittently may not know this. I'm not an Erod guy. I'm not a guy. I'm not a fan of guys you can't count on to come in and throw strikes. And Erod could easily come in, and you know he just he he just loves walking the leadoff guy, like like, it, it, and then he and he does, and I've already talked about it on the uh, tonight. He nibbles, and his pitch count is high. And what happens is, it's great, it's great if he gets that third out, and you can go four or five innings, hundred pitches, one earned run. But what's happened, especially against the Astros, is their their lineup is so long. That if you do that and you give up the big the big hit, the game's over. Yeah. And, you know, he's capable of giving up the long ball. One of the things about Ivaldi and you mentioned it, I think, about five minutes ago, is in his last start against the Astros, he gave up only solo home runs. Look, Erod gets his money's worth. He doesn't give up solo jobs, okay? This guy loves traffic, loves the big fly with people on base. And so I just don't have any faith that... He's going to avoid crooked numbers because in in this series against this team, unless things continue to happen uh, wonky, um, you're not going to win games if you're giving up an inning here or there where where it's three runs. You're just not. So um, I love Porcello in that start. I think he's just shown nails so far. I love that he's willing to come in and pitch that eighth, and he's been successful. So I just think that the moments aren't too big for him. I think he's been – He's reverted back to two years ago, Porcello. Um, he just shows he, he's out there on the mound confident. He wants to get the ball. He wants to throw it. He's throwing all his pitches with, with an effect. And I, I feel very strongly that Porcello gives you the best chance to win. Now, um, they're, th- this is where I think you're going to get hurt. I think you're going to wind up having to overuse Brazier. You're, try- you're going to try to get six outs or, or some you know, four, or five, six outs of Brazier and the same with Barnes, and I think that's where you ultimately tax them and they're throwing pitches, you know, at 35, 40 pitches where they just haven't done it or they're pitching on back-to-back nights where they've thrown 30, 35 pitches because they – Corey doesn't trust anybody else. Henry's only come in the game when it's one way or the other. He, he's not getting the same opportunities he got in the regular season. I mean, he didn't even make the playoff roster. Uh, so, you know, I, I just – it's different. And the, the trust in the back end of the bullpen is so limited. Um, and I think it just goes to show you that one of the guys was the AAA closer, I think as late as August 15th. So – Um, or maybe August 1st. So I think it just goes to show you the lack of trust in that bullpen, except for a very few guys and and, and very specific roles.
1: Yeah. See, with game four, if that was an Erod start, it's almost a throwaway game. But with Porcello, you're stabilizing game three and you're stabilizing game five, you know, by having him out of the pen. So that's where it's attractive to me. Um, obviously game four in and of itself, your, your odds are much better with Porcello starting it. And, and you know, that's the plan. So um, it's just, I feel like we're going to miss him and, and uh, you know, in that role and, and now starting tomorrow, you're going to have three straight games where he's not going to be in that role. And it's just, it's just really dicey, but. So
2: here's how I would handle that. If, if you're going to need him tomorrow. And it, and it's not going to be a plan. It's going to be okay. Brazier again. Evaldi only pitch five, so Brazier in the sixth. Bars in the seventh. And we need Porcello in the eighth. Then what I would rather you do is Porcello start game four with the expectation that he's he's on the throwing sixty pitches, and you can try to get three innings out of him. And then and then you go Erod not to start a game, and then you try to get to your usual suspects. So if you have to use them. I would use him, and I think it just limits what he can do in game four, but I still think he starts that game.
1: That's a good point because, I mean, if you can be up two to one, I mean, that's huge regardless of what, you know, the consequences the next day may or may not be. One other scenario, um, it wouldn't be in play tomorrow, but uh, what about Price coming out of the pen, hopefully for no more than one inning uh, after Porcello at some point? Just at some point in game four, basically.
2: Yeah, I actually like that. Um, we, you and I have talked a lot about the difference between Price and, as a starting pitcher in the postseason and in the reliever role. And one of the things I think Price can do is he can come in if he knows he's only throwing one inning and empty the chamber. He can kind of quit it with so many cutters and just come in and, and throw the four-seamer with some velo and, you know, try to make quick work. You know, if you remember Kelly um, as a starter when the Cardinals, uh, when he was pitching with the Cardinals, and I think he pitched game three of the one of the series against us, I can't remember. Um, He was not 100 miles an hour, but then he becomes a reliever, and he is. And Price is the same way. You know, he's 92-93 with a cut, and he can throw 95-96 with a four-seamer, but he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to. He wants to stretch himself out to 100 pitches, and he wants to try to get through six or seven innings. Reliever David Price can come in and hump it, knowing that he can he can go full go uh, 15 pitches and 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 be effective and not have to worry about getting outs four through you know 18. So I like him in that role. I feel way more confident with him in that role than I would. Starting you know game six uh, even though there's a possibility that he throws in both games
1: Yeah, I mean I guess unfortunately we're just one game at a time right now, but uh, you know I don't think any of us foresaw this type of a strategy playing out and I guess that's one way to Compensate for the fact that we didn't make that july 31st move for a reliever and uh I, you know, so we'll see. And, uh, you know, they winged it last year in Houston. I mean, I don't think anybody saw Brad Peacock and Charlie Morton really, you know, ascending to those roles and, and just making a huge impact. Everybody forgets Brad Peacock, too, because he pitched, like, three innings of game, I think it was two or three, and... You know, really saved them from going to the bullpen, and Morton gets all the glory because he was the, you know, the game seven guy that, you know, that carried the pen uh, in that game. But, you know, so we're we're seeing similar stuff here. And look, if
2: I'm if I'm Alex Cora, and I'm sitting in my pregame, you know, office with the bench coach and the pitching coach and. You know, here's what happens if Avoldi can go four. Here's what happens if Avoldi goes five. Here's what happens if we got to bring in a guy with you know in the six with guys on versus a clean inning. I, and I'm sure it doesn't happen, but I'd love to be a fly in the wall if they were if they were allowed themselves to go to Dave Dombrowski in, the, in that range and just say, wouldn't it be nice if we had one more power arm? righty or lefty, but just some guy, one more power arm. And all these guys that got moved and the assets they got moved for, it just, it's frustrating because, I mean, we've spent more time talking about what if Evaldi goes six versus seven or five versus six than we've talked about anything else. And that's not just for this iteration of the podcast. That's since we've been doing this for two weeks since the playoffs started. And I just, I hearken, and you know I'm not a Dave Dombrowski guy. I hate the way he builds a team. He has been notoriously pathetic building the bullpen. He has no feel for it whatsoever for some reason or another. And to the extent that he puts guys in roles to succeed, like Kimbrel, he's got to give up four prime assets to do it. So he just doesn't make the savvy signing where, you know, he just, he just he's incapable of doing it. And everybody with half a brain knew that we needed to make that move and he just didn't do it. And it, it just it's shocking and as we discuss the scenarios going into game three, I just can't help but wonder what it would be like to have one more power arm or a veteran arm or somebody we could count on in these spots because we don't and we and it's been the same song and dance all goddamn year.
1: Yeah, and we could have made a move. I was kind of a big proponent of Brad Ziegler again, and I know he's not a sexy name, but he could have been had for basically nothing, and it's kind of awkward to trade for him twice within the same tenure of a a GM, but that was just one guy that might have given you some stability, and he was on a really impressive run up until the uh, deadline. Got off to a rough start to the year, but really reined it in, and um, there were some other guys as well, and with if, if you go back to the very beginning though, I don't I, it's hard to blame him for the Kimbrell thing because he was just so dominant for so long, and there wasn't really any red flags you know, until after he got here. I do kind of blame him for price because there were red flags all over the place and and he still signed them to a much more painful deal and I know. <laughs> I know Kimbrell was traded for, you know, versus him being signed, Price, but um, that was a terrible move. You know, when it comes to Kimbrell, you know, I'm kind of willing to give him a pass. And and Kimbrell hasn't really been a failure yet. I mean, he hasn't coughed up a playoff game this year, and um, I'm I'm not going to miss him either. I'll I'll say that. But, but yeah, and then with July, there was also one other thing, though – He said he had a deal in place, and it was speculated to be Calvin Herrera, and he said we had everything lined up, but then the team changed directions on him, and I think that was the Nationals, because they they did dangle Bryce Harper out on the evening of the 30th to kind of just test the market a little, and then... By ten A. M. the next morning they said he was off the table, so I'm guessing whatever offers were out there just weren't gonna be adequate enough to make the deal, which is dumb because he's gonna walk anyway. But
2: Well, I mean look, you, you can't control if, if a team has buyer's remorse before they sell. So but here's the thing that just drives me nuts, okay? And I and I didn't think we wanted to get too far down this rabbit hole, but we're going that way, so let me just There were six contenders this year, and the Rays really got in the fray late. There were so many pathetic bad baseball teams, especially in the American League. There's just no excuse to go pluck a guy from any number of teams that was either with length or with term left on his deal or not. You're the Boston Red Sox. you got a chance to go win a World Series. And if you can't because you're a reliever short, in a, in a year where only five of the 15 teams even had a ch- had a chance to sniff the playoffs. You you can't tell me that of the 10 teams, there aren't other options out there. And I'm just talking about the American League, Terry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but I just refuse that You can't go to any number of these bad teams and pluck their best reliever with one, zero, one years left on their contract. But he didn't do it. And you have brought up Herrera in the past, and um, – you have the pulse of that a little bit more than I do, frankly, so I'm just going to defer to your commentary on it. But I don't limit it to, like, a deal that was agreed to in principle and fell apart because the team had buyer's remorse. You know, my my concern is that if he was limiting it to the the Nationals going through with the Herrera deal, like, I'm sorry, that seems very short-sighted given the number of bad teams there are, in the, in, in, especially in the American League this year.
1: No, I fully agree. I think a move should have happened. And another thing that unfortunately I think worked against us, and I've I've talked about this before, but I think he was dumb enough, Dombrowski, to kind of let the month of July deceive him because we we didn't play a single 500 team until literally the final two days of the month. And – we were blowing these teams away left and right. I think we lost five or six games the whole month, if even that. And he just, he he let that be his assessment for the rest of the year when we would eventually be playing tougher teams. So, I think that went against us as well. And, you know, so, it's frustrating. We're weathering the storm regardless, but... Well, this team has fight, but I think
2: part of the reason why he didn't make a move is because he knows that he has pillaged the farm system to the extent where the only people with any upside that are left are people that have injury or baggage. So he couldn't trade, and I'm going to space it on his name right now, the lefty, first-round pick from last year because he had Tommy John surgery early enough in the year that he was untradeable. Groom. Um, Jason, uh,
1: Jason Groom.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was another guy who was on a suspension. Uh, I can't remember if it was PEDs or domestic violence. Um, Michael, and I, and Michael. This Chavis. is great radio because I'm yeah, <laughs> Michael so. Chavis. I, yeah. Okay. So I um, you know, so it was like, are these guys that are chips were like not available for for you know ancillary reasons, and I think part of it was well, I I, I just can't the the the. The minor league system has been pillaged to the extent that I can't even I can't even move a lower end prospect at this point for a reliever because the cupboard is just so bare, um, or his hands were tied because management said that. So, but I think that had to be a factor because they would just give it. I mean, it was like a fire sale of prospects to get Chris Sale to get Kimbrell, you know, they, they, they traded for Pierce, they traded for Kinsler, um, you know, and, and I know that's not the extent of it, but it just seems like, you know, maybe they were willing to go so far and then that was their limit because they do want to contend and they don't want to completely, and I think they already have, frankly, but I don't think they wanted to go completely zero on the minor leagues.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you kind of said with Cora, I'd love to be a fly on Dave Dombrowski's front office. Another thing of note that kind of happened, this was last year before that trade deadline, we needed a third baseman really bad and they kept saying we're not going to we're not going to call Devers up. We're not going to call Devers up. We're not going to rush him. And that was as early as like a week before he comes up and <laughs> and and then well that was about service time as much as it
2: was about anything else because he was ready offensively
1: yeah i well they they thought they did there was a little bit of concern unless and farrell could have been lying too but you know they they just didn't want to rush him and it became public that dave the front office basically told Dave Dombrowski that he wasn't allowed to trade any more top talent. And I don't know if that was just for the trade deadline or what. I mean, nobody significant has been peddled, you know, since then, If you unless you want to consider Beaks on that level. And I, I don't, but, but so they've already stepped on his toes once and, so I don't know,
2: but well, Beeks uh, was for Valdi and I would have made I would make that trade again. Could you imagine where we? we well, first of all, we wouldn't be at where we are right now if we didn't have Evaldi. So I mean, the moves, and here's the thing: as much as I'm going to bitch about Dombrowski, and I hate the way he builds teams, um, because he's so top heavy, With just trading for proven talent versus what Epstein was, which was always a mixture of development and you know. And 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 it was always for a specific need. It wasn't just to get better at a spot. It was because there was a need. So that's why he would go get veteran talent. This particular guy is just he he just like holds a fire sale and it's like a free puppy sign. Like for three free puppies, you can get a closer. Yeah. So you know, but um, you know, look, it's it is what it is. Um, Pierce has played a role. Uh, Kinsler. we haven't talked about him to much length. I just mentioned how bad he was in those uh, first two at-bats. Um, but the moves he's made have actually had an effect in my mind. Um, Evaldi, again, we're not I don't think we're in the ALCS without Evaldi. So, you know, it's hard to just completely bag on everything he's done. But it's, it's, it's so par for his career to not have a bullpen that's capable of being a difference maker in the playoffs. And that's what's frustrating more than anything.
1: Right. Um, Also, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, Nunez is starting tomorrow. Did you see that? Well, Terry, (laughs) I haven't, and uh, that could send me down a spiral. Yeah, well. Why? What the fuck? Well, he. Why? I mean, just from. I, I know. I don't agree with it either, but we are up against a lefty, and and I just I think Cora is a Nunez guy. I think he loves Eduardo Nunez, and he's got the start. And I don't agree with it either. Put Holt over there, okay. even though he's a lefty. I, okay. All right. Let me let me let me just for, give me give me thirty seconds.
2: And in my world, which is probably like real life, like 60 to 90 seconds,
1: Go ahead.
2: you have to be fucking kidding me. Okay. So here, let me just get into this, like first in defense, then in offense, defensively Devers actually played a really good game game too. He made some plays that were frankly a little bit surprising. I thought he was accurate to first base with his throws. He made at least two plays that I recall that were outside of, you know, one step you know, meaning it wasn't hit right at him. So he had to make a play to, to get the out So I thought he was much better on the flip side Nunez sucks I mean if the ball is not hit on a run pop to his chest And he can't physically jog the ball over to first base You just don't know what you're gonna get out of Nunez on every single ball at him He's he just he's fucking sucks defensively and that sales start was so frustrating because if he fields that goddamn ball that was not a tough play, then that whole game could have been different. And it just its so frustrating. And here's, he's just such a zero offensively. And look, you can say what you want about Devers and the matchups, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but Devers has produced. He's produced against everyone he's faced. He's absolutely fearless. He has elite bat speed. And he's not a singles guy. Like he puts a bat on the ball every time he swings i feel like it could be a home run to left to central to right i feel like he's his extra bit his extra bases are going to come from left center right center or down the right field line and i think as you saw the other day with his bit he hit a ground ball uh through the third and shortstop hole to score a run uh in game two like i'm sorry nunez gives you literally nothing and if you're just going on the lefty-righty matchup, that's fucking fantastic for game 87 of 162. But we need legitimately every opportunity to score runs and we have no opportunity with Nuñez Nuñez swinging. Whereas if you put Devers on and it's 2 outs uh, and the and the bases are empty, you have an opportunity on any swing to have it to to score a run. So it just it, it's mind-blowing, it pisses me off and I love Cora as a manager. I just think he is complete pulse of the team he's making you know lemonade out of lemons with the bullpen but this is just if you it, now the only thing that could make it worse is if you tell me kinsler's in the lineup because that is going to send me into a spiral but this just absolutely is is dumbfounding
1: uh, we don't know uh second base yet but it was tweeted out pretty widely earlier that that nunez is in there i agree wholeheartedly he's just not enough of an offensive upgrade to justify his bad defense I mean there's just no point in having him in there I like Devers in there to start the game and then if we have the benefit of a lead in the seventh or eighth inning I'd be all for putting Brock Holt in there you know as as a defensive replacement we're so thin in that position which is crazy like we don't have the Devin Marrero to go in there and just hold it down for the final two innings and But I think for now, going forward, righty or lefty, regardless, it does have to be Devers. And he does, he can get lost at the plate. And, I mean, there was a a month-long period where he, he just couldn't lay off those high fastballs. And every pitcher knew it. And he just kept striking out. I mean, his OBP was under 300 even. It was in the 280s or something like that. But he has shown some life in the last 10, 15 games of the season, and he's made the most of his playoff opportunity. So it's crazy that he's not getting in there. And they really missed a chance to, to fix him. They Last June, early July, they kind of optioned him just to get him to work on some stuff, to polish him up a little bit, offensively and defensively. And had they been willing to do that, he could be an absolute monster right now in the postseason, And he's just been grossly mismanaged all year long. And I hope that stuff gets addressed in the off season. And Nunez has a player option for next year. So he himself decides if he's going to be on this team. Now I guess they could DFA him or whatever, but for the time being at face value, it's a player option. So it's up to him. And, I just hope next year that Cora does commit to Devers and, and and Devers is his guy. I don't want this to be like a Chris Young, Andrew Benintendi situation like there was with John Farrell. And he, he now now is as good a time as any though to to start doing that with Nunez and when he's on, you're right He's absolutely fearless And he might come through in a big moment He did it against Aroldis Chapman You know, for his first home run And Chapman hadn't even given up a home run at all That season yet And he had an inside the Parker uh, Last season I think that was in the game we went home in But, you know, he kind of Kept us alive a little longer with that And um, I, I hate it as well So He's, he's, like I said, Nunez is his guy. I don't know. I don't know what so, the. To...
2: Here's, my, here's my issue with this, and obviously, <laughs> you know, Alex Cora, I, I think is an elite manager, um, even after one year. I think he just shows an incredible feel for the game. I just have less use for the regular season use of analytics. Look, if, if, you, if you get into the playoffs and it's now do or die and everything matters and, you know, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite is your 25th guy and he gets up and he hits two bombs, you start him the next game. Like, damn it, with the analytics, like, this guy is hot. And, you know, we've seen it all the time. Like, every year there's some guy who's, like, seemingly out of nowhere and it just seems to me that they're taking like Hulk comes out after the cycle. Um, Devers is now coming out tomorrow. Which the more I even say it, just it just pisses me off. It's just like core. Like if I had one main gripe, it's that you have. It seems like you are ignoring the feel for the games in the playoffs. Like it's so easy to pencil in bats and JD, and you know now you have no choice at first. But he's ignoring like streaky hitters that are shrieking. Like let Devers hit, let Holt hit, and if you're wrong, like okay, fine. But the indications are that they're hot. I just don't. I and here's the other thing with Nunez, and like I'm not a, like I'm obviously not in baseball, so I don't have the analytics in front of me. What the fuck analytics show that Nunez should be your starting third baseman tomorrow? Like, he's not very good. And, like, I think people, you know, the everyday Red Sox fan is potentially a little bit jaded because when he was traded for, he was as hot as a hitter as there was in the big leagues. He was hitting bombs all over the place. He was on fire until he hurt his knee. That's not who he is. What he was this year is who he is. He's, there's a reason why he didn't get a big contract from another team. Like, Major League Baseball knows what Eduardo Nunez is. So it's just so confusing to me that, that for whatever reason Cora is playing him. Like, I don't know if, like, Eduardo Nunez has, like, nudes or something of Alex Cora. And it's like every time he says he's not going to play, he's like, hey, Alex, I got these photos. I can easily just tweet these. And he's like, hey, you're starting hitting six tomorrow. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Yeah. I really don't get it. It's exhausting, and what I'm trying to pull up right now, um, and I'm not doing it quickly because I'm like a little bit frustrated. Is what is his OPS in 2018 was 6.77. Now, within a few points, I think the league average is 7.12. So, 6.77 is a level of suckage, to use a Terry term, is a level of suckage that. <laughs> It's hard to fathom on a team this close to the World Series when you have guys like Holt and Núñez who are definitely better offensively and and Núñez is no obviously no upgrade defensively. Like this is shocking. I thought we wouldn't see Núñez again. The fact that he just had one game off, Devers produces, plays good defense and then they go back to Núñez like like I don't honestly know what to say about it. It's so fucking frustrating and I feel like you're you know, you're you almost—it almost seems like he's specifically trying to take, to put to put a weak weak spot in the lineup in the field. Like, I, there's no basis for it. Like, am I seeing something
1: that no one? Like, I, am I just missing it? Like, I'm, I'm at a complete loss. No, I just I can't hammer on it enough. I mean, he's a good clubhouse guy. He's a veteran guy, and I, I just I think Cora likes him. You know, and he's always telling stories about him, like. Wasn't there something that happened earlier in the year? He got hit in the nuts literally by something and he's laying on the ground yelling in Spanish, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And everybody, (laughs) everybody was laughing at him and, Uh, you know and i just i think that has a lot to do with what it is and it's okay then if that's the case then that pisses me off even more yeah Uh, i've
2: said i've said to see and terry you know yeah I'm, i'm i don't beat around the bush too much i think i'm pretty unambiguous in my positions i don't care if you're sleeping with the players wives i don't care if you're a good guy i don't care if you're if you have a little nagging you know little 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 injury i care about performance like I'm never gonna see Eduardo Nunez. I'm never gonna meet him. I don't care anything. You know, I don't care what he does in his personal life. Like go three for four and make all the plays that you can make. And I, and 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 for a day, I'll be like, okay, Eduardo Nunez, like I'm your guy today. But you're not doing that. And so like the fact that you made people laugh when you got hit in the nuts, like you know, fine. And like it's nice to hear that there's people in the clubhouse because typically a happy clubhouse leads to production. But like at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck. It's game three of the LCS. You shouldn't be in the lineup. You are. And, I mean, prove me wrong, fine, but I I, it, I don't care. Like I, All the ancillary stuff just doesn't have any effect on me as a baseball fan because I don't care. I don't care. I care about the Boston Red Sox winning games, getting to the World Series, and winning another championship. And this just doesn't – it's counterintuitive to that set of goals.
1: Right. I, I totally feel you and – Hopefully, you know, the rest and of the... Terry, s-
2: we were having a happy podcast, and
1: we had to bring up <laughs> that uh, Eduardo Nunez is starting tomorrow, so that's on you again. Well, you I hate s- to blame you as much as I have to, but, you know, it is what it is. I was wondering if you knew, but then you said something earlier in the show, and I'm like, I don't think he even knows. And I, I we were talking about pitching forever, so I just... You know, I just let it go, but... Uh, uh, you know, I, I had to battle my kids to go to bed tonight so I could make sure
2: I could get on this without any issues. And I usually spend the hour before we do these things on, on Twitter if it's not a, a, a playoff game. And I just didn't do that tonight, so that's on me, but, you know...
1: That's fine. I don't think... It, the news, So I'm going to blame you. It didn't come out till like, 8 or 9 anyway, but... Um, yeah, another thing, I want to get into the Barnes thing, the maybe controversy, but before I do, just one last observation. Um, why is Swihart on the roster, really? Because we're talking about the lack of defense that we have over at third, and then I, I guess Pierce is fine at first. I mean, he's I think he's a better offensive option than Nunez, uh, not Nunez, uh, Moreland, who hit like, 170, you know, after the All Star break, I just, I, I mean, he's not going to catch. So why are we, ca- why are we carrying three catchers? We could have had like. Who Sam- would you rather had, two way, win? Well, I was thinking more Sam Travis, you know, as a first baseman at least. Once Moreland got hurt. Yeah, I, I mean, I might have gone that way, and that, that is, in my opinion, that's such a duplication of Pierce.
2: Um, that I just don't. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. The, the defense has been so bad at third, and like you know, putting in Nunez. I'm sorry, putting in Devers for Nunez is for the most part a difference without a distinction. Where if you're not going to have a role for Swihart, why not have two-way Lin on the roster? And that would That's be how fine. I look and, at it. Yeah, that would be fine as well. Because that guy, that guy can play. That guy can play second. I mean, you're never going to see him as short because there's no reason to ever take Bogratz out of a playoff game. But that guy can play second. He can play third. He uh, he can play short. Um, He's an upgrade and gives you another. You know, last night when Moreland pinch hit for uh, Vasquez, Leon pinch ran. And I remember remarking at the time, like, man, I'd like to maybe have some speed at first base. The game's. I think it was still a one-run game at that point. It's like, man, I'd like to have some speed there. Like, wouldn't you rather have two-way lead in that spot than, than Leone? Yeah. <laughs> Pinch running? like, you know, it just seems like you'd give the lineup a little bit more <laughs> turnover, and they keep saving, like, well, oh, run Swihart. Like, run Swihart and then put Leone in the game, but they keep saving Swihart for something, for some role that hasn't been told to us yet and hasn't come to fruition yet. So, again, it's just very confusing. I agree with you. That very rarely happens.
1: <laughs> but it seems like
2: you It seems like you're wasting a the spot there, and um, I don't think it would come in the bullpen just because there's no one else that they would trust, unless Wright winds up being healthy, which obviously isn't going to happen. So um, we're stuck with Swihart eating the twenty-fifth spot when there's really no use for him.
1: Yeah, I it just it just came to me today. He hasn't been used for literally anything. So, but we got bigger problems. So whatever. Um, <laughs> Chit and played right field in the uh, in the blowout in game three. That's all he's done. Oh, did he? Okay. I didn't even <laughs> see that. Um, all right. So um, Barnes got kind of caught, and who knows, not officially, with um, some type of shiny substance. And people keep saying pine tar, and it's definitely not pine tar, um, you know, because it's, it's light and shiny. But he kept going to it in the video, and... I just, you know, it might have been similar to the Bullfrog stuff that Buckholtz was using, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that Toronto game. So my only concern is I'm not worried about repercussions at this point because it's almost been completely ignored by the media. I'm just worried about going forward. Is he going to be checked? Now that, yeah, now that he basically can't use it. Yeah, yeah suspensions
2: have typically only happened when an umpire is confirmed that there was a foreign substance it was michael pineda three years ago where he had like that pine tar in his neck and one of the worst uh you know my father always told me he probably isn't gonna like this because he does listen to the podcast but my father always told me that if you're gonna be a criminal do me a favor be a smart criminal <laughs> um yeah it's like the opposite of that like let me put this clearly foreign substance on my neck like so freaking ridiculous but Uh, I thought Barnes was really smart about it, and um, I watched the the Twitter video you retweeted with the play-by-play from the clearly angry Houston uh, Astros fan. He turned his back to home plate when he was doing it. He always did it as a singular motion with, like, he'd rub the ball, put it in his glove, and then quickly go to his arm. Um, To me, um, he can't be suspended for that because no one independently confirmed what it was he's obviously not going to come out and admit it. So I have zero concern that he's going to end up with some sort of suspension. My concern, and I think you agree with me based on what you alluded to, is now he can't have that, or to the extent that he does have it, it's now the Pineda situation where it's like they're going to obviously be looking for it. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's that time of year where it's cold weather, and I think, frankly, hitters would prefer that the – the, the pitcher know where it's going to go. But his breaking ball was absolutely filthy yesterday. And it's hard to not correlate the clear use of a forward substance to that to the the sharp breaking pitch he was featuring yesterday. So I'll be interested to see the effect it has on that. Obviously, I don't think it's going to have too much of an effect on a foreseen fastball. But he was really good with that breaking pitch, and I think it showed how much trust he had in it and that he featured it. Uh, got a couple big strikeouts on it. Um, so, I mean, more, you know, zero concern that he's cheating. I, I You know, I'm, I'm always a fan of cheating if it means that it's going to give you a competitive advantage as long as it's not something like, you know, it, first of all, everyone does it. And I know most people are like, Every, you know, if everyone's going to jump off a bridge, you're going to jump off a bridge. If it means I'm going to win serious, yeah, I'll jump off the fucking bridge. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, like, everyone's using it. And I'm going to tell you right now that there, there are a couple, uh, you know, Houston Astros pitchers that said you know what, hey guys why don't you shut up about the foreign substance on his arm because I don't want him looking at my forearm You know, I mean it's something that we all know goes on Right, so it just to me. It's like it's part of the game. you have got a couple of real things on Twitter I don't think the professional sports franchises especially Major League Baseball who doesn't have a real good touch with social media I uh, Have been probably have the pulse Of what this this Astros fan This little video that he's done so I I don't Think it's going to be a big issue but obviously It's going to have to be brought to Barnes's attention And he cannot do it tomorrow
1: Yeah and it The other troubling thing to me Though and we discussed it before we came On is He he hasn't given Up an earned run neither has Kelly neither has Hembry in the limited uh, Innings he's pitched but I mean, there was just a sharp turnaround in in their performances, so I just hope it doesn't have an effect going forward. And here, here's way and one other thing, and my mind keeps going back to this: the umpires on their own accord took away Martín Maldonado's glove. And looked at it for Pintar And I noticed he was kind of slathering his hand over it And so it, it looked A little suspicious You know And and apparently it must have to them Because they grabbed it And nobody from the Red Sox Alerted the umpires of this They did it on their own So if they're All right, So it's not the umpires It's Jeopardy Joe West Or, 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 or
2: whatever the stupid nickname For that slob is that guy thinks for some reason that he's like some like star player. He's the absolute worst. Um, he, he, it, like the mere sight of him makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth because he's just, he's such an incompetent me monster. He just pisses me off to no end. He, he's like seeing him on that staff. It, it just, it just, it just, so, couple of things. One, it's Joe West it was behind that. And to the extent that the Red Sox said anything, Major League Baseball isn't going to admit to it because they don't want a thing of this. They don't want to hey, you're cheating, hey, you're cheating, hey, you're cheating, because it takes away from the product on the field and these are the this is the marquee matchup and these are the two best teams. So Major League Baseball wants you watching the product, not watching some sort of like, uh, you know, you're a cheater, you're a cheater kind of thing. So, uh, you know, and then the other thing is, like, take Joe West off of these goddamn series. Like, Angel Hernandez, Joe West. Like, these guys suck. They take the focus away from the game. And it's just like, why is that dink on this umpiring crew? And I, does he have home plate tomorrow? I have no idea. I hope uh, not. Yeah, I'm going to Google it right now. But if he is, buckle up. Because there's going to be some stupid thing that he makes it about himself and not the game and not calling a good game. And that Maldonado thing is exactly that. It's, it had nothing to do with anything but Joe West inserting himself into a, into a thing he didn't have to insert himself in. Uh, it's just infuriating. Like, and, and by the way, everyone fucking does it. For Christ's sake, look at Kendall's look at hat.
1: Yeah, I mean, true. Tell I me, mean, no, there's no foreign substance that has burned that. I mean, the the
2: navy blue in the brim of his hat is completely gone. It's like someone spilled bleach on the underside of his brim. Uh, I I highly doubt that's from sweat. You know, I mean, you know, it just so I'm just sorry, but everyone needs to settle down with this stuff. It's part of baseball. I don't think the players, uh, the far majority of players, want it to be an issue because they don't want their shit getting looked at too much.
1: Yeah, it'll just be interesting. Hopefully nothing becomes of it and whatever their routines were stay the same, but um, who knows? But I, I, we had to talk about it briefly anyway. Um, all right. Uh, I mean, just in closing, I mean, avoldi pitching tomorrow, as we talked about, would be great if he goes at least six innings. Huge bonus if it's seven um we've gotten to keiko before so maybe with a little bit of momentum our offense looked totally different in the second game they were much more focused much more amped up and if that's what we see for the rest of the series i think i think we're gonna we're gonna have a shot here and we weren't talking about that in the last podcast you know we were Price was about to pitch We thought we were going to be down 0 for 2 And and here we are tied in the ALCS So It will be interesting to see The strategies because like we said We're kind of assuming Porcello's not going to be In there tomorrow Um, So who knows Well
2: I'm more optimistic About this game than I was game 2 Um And I think Evaldi, you know, based on what he did in the ALDS, I don't think the moment will be too big for him. Keigel's been there, pitch big games. He's a good pitcher, knows how to get people out. He's not going to overpower us. I'd really be shocked if he pitched, you know, seven innings of dominant baseball. Um, So I think you'll get to him. I think you'll chip away. I'd love to see a crooked number in the first three or four innings. you know where where I think Keiko's really good at just limiting the damage to a single run here, a single run there, and then passing it off to that bullpen with a chance to win the game. So, like they did to Cole, I'd love to see a crooked number. I'd love to see someone hit a home run with, you know, it's going to be warmer weather. It's going to be in Houston. I think you're going to get back to, you know, um, you know, and there is a factor in cold weather versus warm weather baseball. I'm hoping it has an effect on J.D. Drew. Not Whoa. Whoa, what just happened? Uh, J.D. Martinez, um, because he doesn't have a hit in this series. And besides the three-run home run uh, in, in game one of the ALDS, he's had a handful of walks um, where they've just respected him, I think. But when it's time to pitch to him, they're getting him out. And they're getting him out with sliders away. And he's he's really had a lot of bad swings and misses. Um. So I'm hoping maybe he warms up with the, with the weather out in Houston. Um, I'd like to also see, generally speaking, if Mookie can keep it up. Um, I thought he was awesome. Obviously, he scores a run where there's not a hit or really a ball put in play there. Bad, bad catching by Maldonado. But still, Mookie's an electric factory, and he really showed his ability to change a game. Um, starting with the first double, he had a second double. Had the two, you know, had the two pass ball advances and then scored on another one. Uh, can Bradley give you anything offensively? And uh, off there, you mentioned that it was nice to see Bradley get going. And uh, and I and I might be misquoting you there, Terry, but he didn't get going. Okay, he had a ball where he like basically fought it off and it scraped the left field wall and then ran along the padding. He had one hit. He's had one hit in the series. It happened to be a huge hit. I'm thankful he had the hit. But he's no, by no means showing any signs of getting out of whatever the hell he's in. Because he swings and misses more than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, you know, like, he, he it's actually amazing. And it's in big spots. And it's like Kinsler did it the other day. And it was kind of surprising. But Bradley does it all the goddamn time. So, you know, I'm looking to see if maybe Bradley can piggyback off a real big hit. J D gets himself going. Mookie maybe stays hot. Betting Tendy's been really consistent. He's he's made a difference. Uh so you know um you know, I you know they're gonna have to score runs. They're gonna have to score runs. I I don't think you can expect Vol and Porcell will go back to back starts you know you know seven errand each and, and eliminate it to one or two runs I think that either either one or both is gonna you know give up a crooked number at some point, and you're gonna have to score runs to win these games and get back to Boston
1: yeah I mean with Bradley it, it was an awkward opposite field hit you know it was a defensive swing that turned into a, a basis clearing double. And but maybe that's the spark. Maybe, maybe that's what it what it's going to take. And maybe his confidence rises anyway, and that translates to, you know, having having some more success. And I don't remember if he's been batting eighth or ninth, but I really want him ninth. And I love what AJ Hinch does with with uh, Josh Reddick, or am I getting that right, Reddick? Uh. Yeah, Josh Reddick. uh, Yeah, Josh Reddick, okay. For some reason I thought I was botching his first name. Um, But he's been been in the nine hole, and that works really good, you know, to have him and Springer go back-to-back and then Altuve, you know, after them. And we don't really have a guy that we could do that with, but maybe if, you know, Bradley does kind of catch lightning in a bottle here, I really like him in that in that nine hole and he he's he's got some wheels as well so even if he gets on base you know Mookie can you know advance him first to third or or from second to home or what whatever but um you know just a just a small uh thing that Cora could do
2: well it can't be the catcher spot because those two guys can't run and so the thing with Bradley hitting ninth is that you have your, you know, that's Benintendi, JD, and if it's Pierce or Xander, those guys have the ability to put one in the gap. And if Bradley can just manufacture some singles or some walks, he's the type of guy who can score in a ball in the gap. So I just think it's important that he finds his way on base. And I totally agree. I don't think there's any option. He has to be your nine hitter. Um, because he's he's definitely uh, the, Has the ability to, to turn and burn and, and take an extra base He's not a great base runner So I'm not talking about him stealing bases I'm talking about a sure double In the gap where he can turn on the jets And, and, and go score a run for you
1: Yeah actually though I, He was he, he did have a 100% Steal r- ratio It wasn't a ton of uh, steals But you know 12 or 14 or so you know, for what it's worth, um, and, and like
2: I said, he can run. He's just not a naturally gifted base runner. He obviously picks the spots, and he's doing it against guys that have a a, tra- a bad track record or whatever else. Or you know, and I've and I remember a couple times where he stole some bases on some swinging misses on hit and runs. Uh, he's not an elite slider uh, like Mookie is. Um, he's he's more of a slide right into the bag type of guy. So he's just he's not that. I don't trust him in a big spot in the playoff game where the pitcher's holding the runner and the catcher's, you know, ready to throw and they're and they're trying to limit the run game. A lot of those steals are regular season steals where, you know, people go to sleep a little bit. I just don't think that's gonna happen. And Houston, maybe and I don't know who their pitching coach is off the top of my head, but they seemingly really do a good job with the run game where the pitchers contribute. They mix up looks. Uh, there was a stat that Verlander's not giving up a successful stolen base in the playoffs. Like, that's an outrageous stat for how many innings that guy has, has thrown in the playoffs. So, obviously, they highlight it, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I just don't trust him to not turn into an out there. So, uh, but he does. I mean, look, he runs. And and it's it's way better than Vasquez or Leon just clogging up the bases in front of your best hitters.
1: Or even Nunez. Um, Let's not not bring Nunez up again Terry let's not (laughs) revisit that please right, you might have to listen On (laughs) on mute tomorrow then But uh... (laughs) No no well first of all after the game And when he stinks uh,
2: I'll be ready to go absolutely 100%
1: and it's actually A a 5pm start so I'm Unfortunately going to have to listen to the first At least the first hour and a half Maybe even two hours on the radio Which is kind of a bummer but we will get to come on earlier, basically probably the same time as tonight. Um, so I guess that that's an upside. But um, yeah,
2: I will likely. Dri- I have a. Um, I have to go up north for. Uh, I have drive up three hours, so the the very there's a very real possibility that I have to watch the first three games in the car. Um, so I may not have the the. Uh, I don't like the five, you know. I don't like why. Why the five PM start? I mean, you're losing the first hour of that broadcast to to the commuter traffic. It just makes very little sense. I understand the game is now in Central Time, but you know Boston's such such a huge draw. I just don't understand what Major League Baseball is doing, not having that game start at seven o'clock.
1: Well, it might be. I think they're in LA, so maybe because the West Coast game, they want it a little later or whatever but I, I mean we've been we've been lucky compared to last year and ha- have had all the games uh, at least during the week in prime time so um, yeah that's fair yeah I'm not, not can't complain too much I guess but well alright well I guess we'll just wrap on that and uh, hopefully tomorrow will be uh, nice and chipper you know for that broadcast I think Billy uh, will be on with us so um, I hope so. I hope so. Um, hope
2: we get good of and I, 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 hope, you know, we can find a way to score five runs. And, you know, if, and if that's the case, I think we will be chipper.
1: I certainly will be. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy we're tied, but you know, when was the last time we were up t- two to one in the ALCS? <laughs> You know, and, and,
2: and also the circumstances regarding getting that win and knowing you're coming back to Fenway, I think takes an, an enormous amount of pressure off. I don't obviously call tomorrow a do or die, and this team has shown that they can come back against a, a, a adversity, but winning tomorrow really, I think takes the pressure off of a whole ton of situations. Porcello's start in game four. If you could win the game easily, he doesn't have to pitch tomorrow. You definitely get back to Boston. I mean, it just it it has uh, implications across the board. I think tomorrow would be if they win tomorrow. Um, I start to think that there's a real chance this team goes ahead and gets to a World Series.
1: <laughs> that sounds so good. It's I'll take it. Hopefully, hopefully, but it's it's early so. One game out. I will we'll
2: see what happens. And just so you know, that Milwaukee uh, Los Angeles game first pitch is at nine oh nine.
1: Nine oh nine. So Eastern. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Well, all right, man. Have a good yeah. night, and we'll uh, appreciate, appreciate you having me on. I look forward to the next one. Yep. Have a good night. Okay. Well, episode. What are we ninety two in the books? Still tied one to one ALCS game two is tomorrow or tonight, How, you know, depending on when you listen to this. So um, hopefully, Evoldi makes that trade look all much all that much better, you know, with a with another epic performance. So we'll see. First game in Houston. Not sure what their home crowd is going to, what effect that will have on us, but uh, we'll know soon enough. So have a good night, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon.
0: Nation, it's a kind of a family, wherever I roam, a home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity, I live and die with I could ride for eternity i sleepwalk